0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutin on the Calvary Brighton podcast. So now as, as we as we go through chapter 16, as we finally finish our study in 1 Corinthians uh, all together, the title of this message is Your Plans and God's Will. Your Plans and God's Will. You know, it's, it's been well said that, that if you want to make God laugh, Tell them about all your plans, right? I mean, you know, how many of you have, 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 have made plans, you know, and you worked hard, you were diligent, you, 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 you put together all the details, and yet no matter how hard you work, you put all those details together only to have all your plans change in an instant. Ever been there? You know, I mean, you know, maybe you've been planning your retirement, and, and, and you plan and you plan only to see your plans for the future go crashing down with the stock market. Or maybe some of you have planned a trip. You know, maybe maybe you planned a cruise or or you planned a a, a trip someplace warm and tropical, maybe back in 2020, only to have a little thing called COVID-19 break out. And instead of uh, basking in the sun on a beach, you found yourself locked down in quarantine. Plans change, right? This is why Proverbs 27 verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. And so this morning, as the Apostle Paul closes his letter to the Corinthians, he's talking about his plans. And we're going to see that his plans include uh, giving money to the poor and the needy. His plans include uh, coming back to visit the Corinthians. And his plans include future ministry. But what we see from this is that we need to include God in our plans. We need to include God in our plans. So now, let's go to verse 1. As we look at the first four verses, first of all, Paul talks to us about our plans for money versus God's plans for money. Our plan versus his plan when it comes to our finances. And so verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you are to do, on the first day of every week, by the way, that would be Sunday. Remember, on the Jewish calendar, the first day of the week was Sunday. So he's saying, when you go to church, every Sunday morning, <laughs> he says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And, and, and when I arrive, I will send those whom you uh, have, have accredited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable, then I should go also, and they will accompany me. And so now in this section, Paul is, is talking about money, and he's talking about taking up a collection. Now, you know, uh, you, you probably heard the one about the rabbi, the priest, and the pastor. Uh, it's a true story. Uh, and they're talking about what to do with the, with, with the money, what to do with the collection, and so the, the, the priest says, well, what I do is I, 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 first of all, draw a big circle on the floor, and I set all the money in the middle of the circle, and then I sit there in, in, on the floor in the middle of the circle with the money. I throw the money up in the air, and I figure whatever lands inside the circle, that's mine to keep. Whatever lands outside the circle, that belongs to God. Well, the pastor says, well, I do something very similar I draw the circle, I sit in the circle, I throw the money up in the circle, but I figure whatever lands inside the circle, that belongs to God, and whatever lands outside the circle, that belongs to me. The rabbi just laughs and says, listen, all I do is throw the money up in the air and figure if he wants it, he'll keep it. (laughs) And so Paul is is talking about money. He's talking about giving, as he says in verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints. In fact, it's interesting, that word collection, uh, the the word that's used here, logia, in the Greek, literally can be translated an extra collection. An extra collection. That's the literal definition. Not just a collection, but this is an extra collection. It's the idea of going above and beyond. Above and beyond. But we wonder, above and, and beyond what? Well, now remember, Back in chapter 9, the Apostle Paul had talked about tithing. Now, by the way, that word tithing. I remember when I was a brand new Christian, just just really getting serious about the things of the Lord, and the first time I read that word tithing, I thought it was pronounced tithing. And so I asked my aunt and uncle, I'm like, hey, what's this tithing thing? And you know, the Bible talks about tithing, and what is a tith? And are we supposed to tith? And, and that's when I discovered it's not pronounced tithing, it's pronounced tithing, and it actually comes from an old Hebrew word in the Bible that just means one-tenth. It means, it means you give 10% of, of your income, you give that uh, to the church to support the work of the Lord. Now, that's what Paul was talking about back in chapter 9. He's talking about, about supporting the work of the Lord. It, when he says in chapter 9, verse 14, for example, he says, the, the, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so in, in that context, you're giving your 10% in order to support those who do the work of the ministry. Now that's chapter nine. But now here in chapter 16, Paul's not talking about tithing or tiffing. Paul is talking about this extra collection. He's talking about going above and beyond tithing, above and beyond your normal 10 percent. And then he says, in verse three, he says, he says, I, I, "I will take your gift back to Jerusalem." Now here's the background. The background is is keep in mind that the the church in Jerusalem was kind of like the original church, right? It's kind of like the mother church. This is where it all started. It's the nexus. It all started right here in Jerusalem. Remember, uh, in in Acts chapter 2 and 3, we see on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit moves, uh, Peter stands up and preaches, 3,000 get saved, and that's the birth of Christianity. That's the birth of the church. And so Jerusalem is the birthplace for Christianity, for the church. But now, at the moment, what was happening was, was that many of the Christians living in Jerusalem were now going through severe poverty. Now, there were two factors that led into that. Factor number one was, a, was, 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 was an economic collapse, a financial crisis. In fact, Acts chapter 11 tells us there was a severe famine at that time. Acts chapter 11. There's a severe famine. So first of all, there was economic c- collapse, financial crisis, but then second of all, the Jewish people who lived in Jerusalem who were now leaving Judaism and, 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 they're, and they're converting to Christianity, that is, they're becoming Christians, they're becoming followers of Christ, they were now facing unprecedented persecution like, like, like you could never imagine. And we read in Acts chapter 7 and 8, we meet a guy named Stephen, becomes the first deacon in the church. Not only the first deacon, he also becomes the first martyr, the first to be murdered for his faith in Jesus. Then later on we read how, how, how James was beheaded because of his faith in Jesus. And so persecution was, was, was taking an enormous toll on the Christians in Jerusalem, on the church in Jerusalem. In fact, the, the rabbis in that day, they were teaching that, that if you were a Jewish person married to somebody who now became a Christian, you were to divorce them. They were teaching that if you were a Jew, Jewish person who had, who had an employee who became a Christian, you were to fire them. Or, or, or if you were a Jewish employer, you were not to hire Christians. You were not to help anybody who was a Christian. You know, you couldn't help them financially. You couldn't help them with food or with clothing or with water. If, if you were caught helping a Christian, you would be cut off. That is, you would be excommunicated from all Jewish culture and Jewish life. And so because of that, uh, the, 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 the Christians who lived in Jerusalem were, were, were facing dire poverty, severe poverty, and that's why uh, Christians who lived in these Gentile regions, the churches in the Gentile regions like, like Galatia, like, like the city of Corinth, They are now being asked to to go above and beyond their regular 10%, their, their, their normal tithe that they're already giving to support their local church. They're now being asked to go above and beyond and support the suffering, persecuted Christians in Jerusalem. You know, it's kind of like when you go to our website to give, you'll, you'll notice you have the opportunity to tithe, but then in addition to that, you've, you've got the ability to go above and beyond and, and maybe help the, the work of the Lord that we're doing in Uganda, or the work of the Lord that we're doing in Watts, LA, or so on and so forth. And so that's what's happening here. He's saying, you know what, we're going to take this extra collection above and beyond to help the, the, the persecuted church in Jerusalem. So that's what Paul has in mind in verse 1 when he says, now concerning the collection for the saints. By the way, that phrase, now concerning, what's interesting is this is now the fourth time in the book of 1 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul has used that phrase, now concerning. The first time he used that phrase was back in chapter 7, verse 1. In chapter 7, we see that the Corinthians are asking Paul questions about marriage. And so in chapter 7, verse 1, Paul starts and says, Now concerning the questions that you've asked about marriage. And then in chapter 8, they're, they're asking questions about food that's been sacrificed to idols. And so he starts off and he says, now concerning food that's been sacrificed to idols. Then in chapter 12, uh, they're asking questions about spiritual gifts. And so then he starts off the chapter by saying, now concerning spiritual gifts. And so it's safe to assume that here in chapter 16, verse 1, when he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, he, he's, he's answering their question. They've, they've they've been writing him. They they've been questioning him. They've got questions about this so-called extra collection. You know they're they're, they're you know they're probably thinking you know hey you know Paul we 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 really do want to help the poor in Jerusalem. I mean, we really do. You know we we have a heart for the people that are persecuted the persecuted church in Jerusalem. We really want to help them. But you know why do we got to take an extra collection? Why do we need to go above and beyond? Can't we just send our ten percent to them? I mean, do we have to send our 10% to our church here in Corinth? Can't we just instead tithe to the persecuted church in in Jerusalem? And so that's why Paul's laboring this. You know, chapter 9 is the tithe. It's supporting the work of the ministry of your local church. Those who who preach the gospel uh, earn their living by the gospel. Chapter 9, verse 14. And now, chapter 16, he's talking about an extra collection, above and beyond now, the, well, as we look at the fact that, that evidently they were struggling with supporting the work of the ministry in general. I mean, that's why Paul had to write chapter 9. He wouldn't have wrote it if they weren't struggling with it. So in chapter 9, evidently they were struggling with supporting the work of the ministry in general. And now in chapter 16, we see that they have, have questions about, about this extra collection, about going above and beyond, when we look at their struggle and we look at their questions, really it reveals their heart on the issue. I mean, after all, Jesus said in, in Luke 12:34, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so it seems to reveal their heart when it comes to this. You know, it's funny, there, there's a church next to my house, uh, and, 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 and it's one of those churches that has, has these, you know, clever little signs that they put out there. And so one time I drive by and it says, when it comes to giving, some people stop at nothing. That was the Corinthian church. They're like, hey, you know, Paul, when it comes to giving, we want to stop at nothing, you know? I mean, yeah, we really do care, we really do have a heart, but, you know, we, we, you know, we just, you know, we don't really want to do anything. So it kind of reveals, frankly, that they struggled to include God in their financial plans. They were struggling to include God in their financial plans. And so Paul in chapter 9 talks to him about, about supporting the work of the ministry. Now in chapter 16, he's talking about going above and beyond, an extra collection for those that are suffering. And then he, it's interesting, he says in verse 3, And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. He says, those who you accredit by letter. And what he's saying is, you know what? He's saying, you know, go ahead. Verify that the funds that you're giving are actually being used the way that, 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 that they were being asked for. You know, they're being asked to take care of the, the poor in Jerusalem, the needy in Jerusalem. You know, make sure you verify that. And it's always a good practice to make sure that the charity that you're, that you're that you're that you're helping is actually a viable charity. That they're actually doing what they claim they're going to do. Now, by the way, that's one of the reasons, and I, I've hesitated to share this publicly, but that's one of the reasons that we as a church no longer support a ministry called Gospel for Asia. Now, for years and years and years, Gospel for Asia was a great ministry. They, did a, they do a ton of, of amazing work. But over the last handful of years, some questions have, have surfaced regarding their handling of money. Specifically, they can't account for 10 to $11 million worth of funds. And there's some other red flags that have come up. And, and as a result, our church, as well as almost every Calvary chapel in the nation, has no longer uh, uh, put their support behind that ministry, at least temporarily. We want, we want to see the dust settle. We want to see what's really happening. But there's enough concerns there to say, you know what? We can't endorse what's happening there right now. And, and, and so it, it, Paul says, you know what? those that you accredit by letter, make sure that, that you know that it's a good charity, that, it, that it's actually being used the way they say it's going to be used. And if not, there are a lot of other ministries out there that can use those funds and probably use them appropriately. And so first of all, he's pointing out that, that we need to include God in our financial plans. So now, now with that, now by the way, what that means is just because you got burned by some ministry and they weren't using it the way they said they were going to use it, that doesn't justify not giving. That just means start giving to the right places. Be responsible givers. So include God in our financial plans. Verse 5, verses 5-7. through seven. Now Paul talks about our plans for the future versus God's plan for the future. Verse 5, Paul says... And and I will visit you after passing through Macedonia for I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Now, by the way, that phrase that you may help me on my journey, he's saying, you know what? I'm expecting that you're going to be my my financial sponsor for my missions trips. That's what he's saying. And then he says in verse 7, for, for I uh, do, do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. So what we see here is, is, is Paul's plans. Right? We see Paul's planning, number one, to go to Jerusalem, drop off the collection, drop off the, 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 the collection he's bringing for the, for the needy church. Then after that, he wants to go to the region of Macedonia, visit some of the churches that he's planted there. Then after that, Paul's planning on coming back to visit the Corinthians. And so these were Paul's plans. What I'm pointing out is that Paul made plans. You know, he wasn't like somebody who just hoisted up the spiritual sail and just was like, you know, hey, I'm just going to go wherever the Holy Spirit leads, wherever the, wherever the wind blows. You know, there's a lot of people who, who you know, sort of, sort of like to spiritualize their lack of planning, sort of spiritualize their lack of discipline, say, well, you know, I, I think planning is carnal. I think planning is fleshly. I don't think planning is, is spiritual at all. I think you just need to, you know, let, let the Lord lead. Just hoist that cell. Let the wind of the Spirit blow and take you wherever he goes. Now listen, that sounds spiritual, but listen to this. Planning is spiritual. Planning is spiritual. The Bible praises planning. For example, Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. And then there's Proverbs 27 12 that says, A sensible man watches for problems ahead and prepares to meet them. The simpleton never looks and suffers the consequences. And so there are scripture after scripture that praises planning. I I love the way Chuck Swindoll put it years ago when he said, plan ahead. After all, it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. (laughs) And so Paul was planning. He was planning to do this and planning to do that. But then he adds this qualifier. And notice he he says, at the end of verse 7, he says, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Some of your English translations will say, if the Lord wills if the Lord wills. In other words, Paul understood that, 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 that God ultimately had veto power. The yes, he planned, you're supposed to plan, the scripture praises planning, but in the end, ultimately, God can change those plans if he chooses to. He has veto power. And so when you make your plans, you're saying, you know what, you can plan to do this and plan to do that, just understand that it's it's according to the Lord's will, not your will. As the Lord wills. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we should hyper-spiritualize this and always use that phrase every single time we're planning on something. You know, so after church, somebody want, maybe wants to invite you out to lunch. And you're like, oh yeah, that'd be great, if the Lord wills. So, you know, you pray about it, you go out to lunch with them, you're at, you're at the restaurant, you, you place your order, you order a cheeseburger. And the waitress says, well, would you like fries with your cheeseburger? You're like, well, yes I would, if the Lord wills. And you're all, if the Lord wills this, and if the Lord wills that. And, 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 and so finally, the waitress comes. She brings everybody their food but you. You're the only one that doesn't have food. And a little while goes by, you still don't have food. So a little later, you, you're like to the waitress, and you're like, you know, hey, do you plan on bringing me my, my cheeseburger and fries? She smiles and says, if the Lord wills. And so Paul's simply saying, listen, go ahead and make your plans. It's, it's, it's good to plan, but, but when you plan... You know, plan this, plan that, but just realize he has veto power. He's in control. And so plan and say, Lord, you know what? Here's my plan, but ultimately I want you to direct my steps. You're in control. I want thy will be, to be done, not my will to be done. And so in effect, what we're saying is, is make plans in pencil. James chapter 4.15, it says, it says, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We make our plans, but we make them in pencil. We realize he has veto power. In other words, when we make our plans, we need to include God in our plans. Verse 8, verses 8 through 12, now Paul talks about our plans for ministry versus his plan. And so in verse 8, Paul says, But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door and an effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries... When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now notice, he uses that phrase again. He says, help him on his way in peace. First Paul said, when I get there, I expect you to help me, and now I want you to help him. He's saying, you know what? Just as you are going to be a financial sponsor for my mission's works, I want you to sponsor his mission's works as well. And then in verse 12, he says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with, with, with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come to you now. He will come as he has opportunity. And so we see that, that Paul made his plans, but evidently Apollos was all also making his own plans. Now, as far as Paul's plans cons- were, were concerned, he said back in verse 8 that he's planning on staying in, in Ephesus until Pentecost. He says in verse 9, For a wide door and an effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, notice that last line. He says there are many adversaries. Now, you know, I, I bring that up because, you know, we, we, this, this reminds us that, that, that just because the Lord opened the door, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You know, we tend to think that, you know what, if, if God's in it, if it's God's will, then it's going to be nothing but smooth sailing and easy streets and, and nothing but green lights the whole way. In, in fact, if God's not in it, then it's going to be hard. Then it's going to be difficult. Then it's going to be challenging and, and all these other things. Well, tell that to the Apostle Paul. Because, you know, Paul says his plan was to go to Ephesus. He did go to Ephesus, and at first it was it was glorious. It was amazing. I mean, there was this huge revival that broke out. Paul's preaching the gospel. Tons and tons of Ephesians are, are coming to Christ. They're, they're renouncing the, the goddess of, of Diana. They're, they're, t- they're turning away from, from drugs. They're turning away from prostitution. They're turning away from, from idol worship, and they're turning to Jesus, but then Some of the guys who sold idols outside of the temple of Diana, they started realizing how much money they were losing. Now that people are are turning away from idol worship and they're turning to Jesus instead, they realize how much money they're losing and and now they start a riot. And and all craziness breaks loose and and the next thing you know, Paul gets arrested and he gets thrown into prison. And yet he calls it a wide door, and an effective work that's open to him. You see, we, 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 we tend to think that, man, if God's in it, it's nothing but, 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 but green lights. But truth is, is everywhere Paul went, I mean, he had, he had problems. You know, he, he was in Lystra, Acts chapter 14, goes to a, a town called Lystra, preaches the gospel, all of a sudden a riot breaks out, and, and this time they stone him, they, they thought they killed him, they leave him for dead. In fact, it's been said that, that everywhere Paul went, he either, he either started a revival or a riot or both. And it was usually both. And so this just reminds us that, you know what? We may not find an easy life in Christ, but what we will find is a fulfilling life in Christ. Those two are not always the same thing. Fulfilling doesn't always mean easy. Easy. Jesus did say, I've come that you, ha- you may have life and life more abundantly, but he also said, in this life, you will have tribulation. And so oftentimes, you know, we talk about finding God's plan for our lives and finding God's will for our lives. And, and we talk about, you know, God opening doors. And typically what we mean by that is, is that he's blessing us left and right. You know, he blessed us this way and blessed us that way. He opened this door and opened that door. Man, he gave me favor here and he gave me favor there. But rarely do we mean by that that, 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 that he's talking about adversaries and riots and, and, and persecution and suffering. You know, so a lot of us, we want to believe that, that, you know, as long as we love Jesus, then everybody else is going to love us. Man, it's going to be nothing but friend requests. We're never going to get unfriended. And man, nothing but like emojis and little hug emojis. But man, we're never going to get that little devil face angry emoji, let alone the poop emoji. Can I just tell you that life is full of the poop emoji, real life is? (laughs) You know, and so we tend to think that, you know, now that we're Christians, we're never going to suffer. I mean, now that we've become a Christian, you know, bad things won't happen to us anymore. We're not going to get sick, no more cancer. Our houses aren't going to get broken into. Our kids will never rebel. Listen, that's not real life. Here's real life. Job chapter 5 verse 7 says man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. That's real life. So being a Christian doesn't mean that you're never going to suffer. In fact, now that you're a Christian, you might suffer more. I mean, In my Bible, written in red letters, it says that Jesus said in in John chapter 15, verse 20, he says, remember the word I spoke to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they also will persecute you. And so what, what we're reminded of is that when we make our plans for the ministry, we need to include God in our plans for the ministry. And by the way, our plans may never turn out as planned. Because we might have planned easy streets, smooth sailing. But sometimes his plans for the ministry include open doors that include adversaries. Suffering. Persecution. And now with that, verse 13 to the end of the chapter, we'll talk about planning and praying. Planning and praying. Paul says in verse 13, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. let, Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in, in Acacia, and, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice in the coming of Stephanas and Fortunus and Acacius, uh, because they have made uh, up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches in Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, now by the way, remember Aquila and Priscilla, they, after Paul left, pastored the church in Corinth for a while. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with the holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, then let him be accursed. Our Lord, Come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May the love, may, sorry, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So now Paul kind of brings us to a close by, by saying in verse <clears throat> 21, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Now we've pointed this out in, in Paul's other's other writings in the past, that, that typically Paul didn't write the letters that he wrote. Let me say that again. Typically, Paul didn't write the letters that he wrote. He dictated them. He would dictate them, and then somebody like a secretary would write down the words that he was saying, but then Paul would make sure that he signed it with his own hand. How do we know that? Well, because he had, he had her- horrific eyesight. He had chronic eye problems. He couldn't see very well, and so when he would sign the, the, the letter, he would sign it even large enough that even he himself could read the signature that he wrote. Now, why is that important? Well, because at this time, there there, there were letters circulating all over the place claiming to be letters from the Apostle Paul. But they weren't letters from the Apostle Paul. They were fake. They were frauds. You know, kind of like some of these fake friend requests that you get? You know, you get a friend request from somebody you've been friends with on Facebook for like forever, and now they send you another friend request? Don't answer it. Don't respond. It's a fake. It's a fraud. They're going to hack you or something else. So that's what was happening with with Paul. There there were these fake letters. And so Paul says, Listen, you know that this letter came from me because it's got my life-sized signature at the bottom. So now he he, kind of starts this concluding section in verse 13 by saying, Be watchful. He says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Now the word, Be watchful. Gregoreo is the the Greek word. It it literally means be vigilant. But it carries with it the idea of, of taking heed lest calamity suddenly overtakes you by surprise. Now the interesting thing about this word is that it's almost always connected to prayer. When it's used, the word uh, Gregorio, be watchful, is almost always connected to prayer. For example, Mark chapter 14, verses 33 and 34, it says, And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and, and, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. That's that same word, Gregorio. Now, in other Gospels, it'll say, Stay here and watch with me for one hour in prayer. But Mark uses the same word Paul used. Be watchful. Now we we know the rest of the story. We know that when Jesus comes back, he, he finds the disciples were sleeping instead of praying. And this happened not one time, not two times, but three different times. He comes back finding them sleeping when they should have been praying. Just reminding us that some of us are better at sleeping than we are at praying. And so, Paul uses the same word with the Corinthians. Gregoreo. He's, he's saying, you know what? You, you, you need to be watchful. You need to be vigilant in prayer. And so after telling the Corinthians uh, to, to make sure that they include God in their, in their financial plans, and after telling the Corinthians to include God in their plans for the future and in their plans for ministry, now he's, he's telling them, you know what? Now they need to be watchful. They need to be vigilant in prayer. Why? Well, because listen to this. Sometimes even the best laid plans change. Sometimes the best laid plans change. I mean, ask the Apostle Paul. Paul just told us what his plans were. He planned to go to Jerusalem, and then Macedonia, and then then come back to the Corinthians. But listen, plans changed. Riots broke out. People were arrested. He was arrested. And then ultimately, he gets gets arrested in Jerusalem, and then he gets shipped off to Rome, where he's going to stand on trial before Nero. And then later on, he stands on trial before Nero for a second time, and that's when he gets beheaded. Plans change. In the same way, listen, sometimes your plans change. You know, maybe some of you in this room are single, and maybe, maybe by now, at this stage of life, you thought you'd be married by now. Starting your own family by now. And yet, here you are, you're still waiting for God's plan. Others of you, as I mentioned earlier, you're, you're, you're trying to plan your retirement. And, and then all of a sudden, inflation spiked, unemployment spiked, and now with this with this overinflated housing market, all of a sudden your dream retirement home is starting to look a lot more like a retirement tiny house, a retirement tough shed. Plans change. Some of you 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 never planned uh, on battling poor health. You never planned a divorce. You never planned that you'd have to bury one of your children. But life didn't turn out as planned. And that's why we need to be watchful and vigilant in prayer. And so this morning, we've seen that not only when we make plans, do we make them in pencil, because we don't know what the future is going to hold. So we make our plans in pencil, but we also see this morning that when we make our plans, we need to make them in prayer. Make your plans in pencil, but make your plans in prayer. Philippians 4, 6 tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In everything, even the failed plans, in everything present your request to God. Listen, by the way, I can I say that I think the reason some of us may not know what God's will is for our finances or some of us don't know what God's will for our lives or, or our future or for our ministries are, is because frankly, maybe we haven't been really praying. We haven't been watchful, we haven't, we haven't been vigilant in prayer. You know, maybe maybe some of the stuff that we're we're going through and dealing with, you know, it, we, we, you know, it's trivial. It's it's insignificant. You know, we're like, you know, it's too small to, to bother the God of heaven with. It's like the woman who came up to G. Campbell Morgan years and years ago and she said, you know, Pastor, do you think that we should pray about everything, even the little things in life? G. Campbell Morgan looked at her and said, Ma'am, do you honestly think that compared to God, anything you're going through is actually big? Listen, as far as God's concerned, everything you're going through is small stuff. Nothing compared to him is actually big. So bring everything to God in prayer. Pray about everything. Now, by the way, I I think another reason that that we need to include God and, and include prayer in our planning is because, frankly, when it comes to God's plan, when it comes to God's will, frankly, he doesn't always reveal it to us all at once. I mean, you know, we, we, we want the plan. I mean, we want like the five-year plan. We want the whole plan, all the details, all up front. That's not how it works. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says that we walk by faith, not by sight. And so, generally, I've learned that, that, you know what? He usually doesn't tell you what step number two is going to be until after you've taken step number one. <laughs> I think a great illustration of that is Philip in, in Acts chapter 8. You know, Philip, we read in Acts chapter 8, he's, 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 in, he's in this village in Samaria. He's preaching the gospel. I mean, it is awesome. There's this huge revival breaking out. Hundreds upon hundreds are being saved and, and coming to Christ. And then, all of a sudden, God tells Philip he wants him to leave Samaria and go to the desert. Now, he doesn't tell him the whole plan. He doesn't tell him, hey, here's what's going to happen when you get there, and I want you to do this and this and this. He just tells him one thing, leave and go to the desert. And it wasn't until Philip took step one that he finds out what step two is going to be. So he leaves, he goes to the desert, and then he finds out step two. God says, hey, you see that, that guy in the chariot up there with the, with the, with the, with the security detail? That, 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 that Ethiopian official called the Ethiopian eunuch? Yeah, he says, I want you to run up to the chariot. So he runs up to the chariot. He doesn't know what's going to happen. For all he knew, the security detail was going to take him out. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he steps out. He takes step number two. He gets there, and he finds out step three. He finds out the Ethiopian eunuch is, is reading the scroll of Isaiah. And he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And, and he says, no, why don't you jump up here and read it for me and, and help me understand? So he gets on board, and he, and he starts reading it. He explains how Isaiah 53 is all about Jesus, and he leads the Ethiopian eunuch to faith in Jesus and then baptizes him later. But he got the details one step at a time. See, oftentimes, God's plan for our lives, we find God's plan for our life when we not only include him in, in our plans, but when we, when we, when we make sure that, that, we, that we pray our plans. That when prayer is a part of the planning process, and in that process, we find out step one. And then when we step out in faith and we take step one, that's when we find out step two. And then step three, so on and so forth. J. Sanders. Sanders, years and years ago, he told a story about a woman who was speaking at a, at a conference in, in, in North Carolina. And, and, she, and she illustrated God's plan for her life. She, she got up and she just held up this, this blank sheet of paper. Just a blank sheet of paper. The only thing on the sheet of paper was her signature at the bottom. And she says, this sheet of paper contains God's plan for my life. Just a blank sheet of paper. She says, this is God's plan for my life. I don't know a single thing about it. I'm relying on him to fill in the details, for him to fill in the blank. But I've already signed my name to it. I've already committed to it. I've put my signature on the contract. I'm going to live by faith. And so the Apostle Paul this morning is closing his letter to the Corinthians by reminding us to include God in our our financial plans, include God in our plans for the future, include God in our plans for the ministry, but when we're making our plans, remember to make them in pencil. He's got veto power. And not only that, but when we make our plans, make them in prayer. Be vigilant, be watchful in prayer, because plans don't always go according to plans. Father, we thank you for your plan for our life. And ultimately, that's what we want. We want to know your will, your desire, your plan for our lives, for our finances, for our families. Lord, because everything about us is to bring you glory. Lord, ultimately, we are just change in your pocket. Spend us any way you want. We pray not my will, but thy will be done. In Jesus' name. Why don't we stand and sing one more time to the Lord? Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.